If uh, you remember uh, the memory verse, I think it's probably still in front of you uh, there beside me. Uh, Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Well, as followers of Christ, we're to trust in God, not only when we're afraid, but at all times. Uh, trust in God. Trust that his purposes are uh, coming to fruition uh, and that uh, will be known in our lives, uh, ultimately. Uh, e- even through times of um, disciplining, uh, the Bible tells us that God disciplines those he loves. You know, like a good parent disciplining children, uh, God is that way towards us. And so if we have eyes to see, let us let us recognize sometimes the discipline that comes upon us as a loving act from God. And certainly the people of Judah would come to know God's disciplining um, because of their faithlessness and their idolatry that we'll read of in chapter 2 in just a little while. Uh, in this series in Isaiah, we're asking the question, who do you trust? Who do you trust? And specifically, as we look at chapter 2, uh, I want us to consider that who or what we trust affects who we are. Who or what we trust affects who we are. If we're not trusting God, then we'll be trusting other things. We'll be trusting our own intellect, our own capabilities. We'll be trusting our own resources. We'll be trusting in the government or the local authority. We'll be trusting in, perhaps in uh, celebrities who, who, we, who we adore and idolize. We're trusting that they will fulfill our, our desires somehow. Friends, who or what we trust affects who we are. Uh, and it has fruit in our lives, as, we, as we're told in Scripture. Either good or bad fruit. In Isaiah chapter 2, uh, we're told that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains. The mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Well, is that true? Is that literally true? The house of the Lord is the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. It is a physical place. Well, surely that hill is not the highest mountain. Not even in the immediate vicinity is it the highest mountain. The Mount of Olives is higher. There are many peaks and mountain ranges across the world that are higher than the mount on which we find the temple of God. But is that what God and his prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, meant? Is that what they're talking about here? Well, simply, no. The Temple Mount in Scripture, just as the people of Israel themselves are a picture of a greater spiritual reality. And spiritual reality, when it concerns the covenant God of Israel, Yahweh, is ultimate reality. This mountain of the Lord represents his kingdom rule, his divine authority and his presence, 
which is irresistible and almighty. Friends, it is inevitable that God's plans will unfold and triumph, not only in Israel, but everywhere on earth and in the heavens above. And so our pretense and gall as human beings to act as if this is not the case by living in sinful rebellion, chasing after idols of our own imagination. And let's remember, idols come in all shapes and sizes. Well, our, our pretense is staggering, friends. Especially staggering is the idolatry and rampant sinfulness among God's own people. At the time of Isaiah's writing, this was the Jews, those inhabiting the southern kingdom of Judah. And Isaiah knew them well. Right from the political top of the pile, all the way down. Isaiah was the son of Amos, nephew of the king. He was educated. He knew God's law and saw, by the grace of God, by a revelation from God, how far and how deep the problem ran. Isaiah's words here in chapter 2 continue in poetic style. I want to emphasize that. That's not just, a, that's not just a, an observation from scholars, all right? It continues in poetic style. So we could say that God communicates to his people through a song. God sings to his people, serenading them, serenading us. Have you ever been serenaded in your lives? Ladies? Been serenaded by your, by your husbands, perhaps? <laughs> Dave's looking as if I'm off my rocker. <laughs> God is serenading his people. He's calling them back to himself. The loving father of his people, Israel, and of all creation. God is serenading us. God is singing a song. We read of that elsewhere in scripture, and so that's why this is all in poetic language, because these are lyrics of God's song to his people, pleading with us, calling to us. Let's read chapter 2. Let's read chapter 2, uh, prophet Isaiah. Remember the mountain of the Lord. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk. In the light of the Lord. We can say hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
You have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and clasp hands with pagans. Their land is full of silver and gold. There's no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to the chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So man will be brought low, and mankind humbled. Do not forgive them. Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the dread of the Lord and the splendour of his majesty. The eyes of the arrogant man will be humbled, and the pride of men brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan, for all the towering mountains and all the high hills, for every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship, And every stately vessel, think of the trading ships that are being attacked in our world today. Every trading ship and every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low and the pride of men humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day and the idols will totally disappear. Men will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from the dread of the Lord and the splendour of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. In that day men will throw away to the rodents and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold, which they made to worship. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from dread of the Lord and the splendour of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. Stop trusting in man. Who has put a breath, who has but a breath in his nostrils? Of what account is he? This is the word of God. If you're taking notes this morning, I've got three F's for you. Firstly, foolishness. Secondly, fallenness. And finally, faithfulness. Foolishness, fallenness and faithfulness. In verses 6 to 9, God highlights the extensive nature of the compromise made by his people. The light of God mentioned in verse 5 is contrasted with all the things adopted by the people from the foreign nations all around them. Magical practices, greed, warfare and idolatry. Into the true religion instituted by God himself that religion that we've been reading about in Exodus on Wednesday evenings, the people have woven false religious ideas and spiritual practices condemned by God. They are thoroughly condemned by God. If you look at Leviticus, you look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 to 11, these pagan spiritual practices are condemned as abhorrent abominations before the Lord. The people have instead preferred to pursue vanity and material riches, silver and gold, we're told, vast treasures. 
The people's rulers have sought to build their own kingdoms through military conquest, trusting in the numbers of chariots and horses at their command, rather than paying close attention to God's commands. Because of this widespread compromise and worldliness, false gods, idols fill the land and fill people's hearts and minds and souls as they chase after dreams and deceptions straight from the enemy of God and of mankind. As long as we chase after these things, and this is just as valid for us here today as to the people of Judah 2,700 years ago. As long as we chase after such things, forgetting God's desire to lead us through life, to guide us into green pastures and beside still waters, we will suffer. Sadly, looking at the condition of much of God's people today, there remains a whole lot of compromise. I'm talking about the visible church okay, in the world. I'm talking about the, the popular, many of the popular expressions of Christianity today. There remains a whole lot of compromise. We prefer to carve out a Jesus of our own imagination, a Jesus who fits with the world's narrative of inclusivity and human autonomy, removing any discomfort that comes from the full claim of Jesus on our lives that we read about in Scripture. Unless and until we wake up from our slumber, we, like the people of Judah, seeking to exalt ourselves rather than God, nurturing our pride and making provision for our own splendour, whilst this continues, we will be in great danger of falling on the great and fearful day of the Lord. Are we listening to God's prophets? Are we listening to the real Jesus of Scripture? Or are we consumed and drunk in the foolishness of the world? Secondly, fallenness. Isaiah tells us in verse 11 of the lofty pride and the haughty looks of men that reveal their shamelessness, their preference, verse 22, to regard man as supreme instead of regarding God as we should. Friends, the rampant cynicism and shamelessness on display in our culture is nothing to be pleased with or proud of. That an entire month in our calendar is now Pride Month that ought to be a source of great shame rather than something to celebrate. As a result of our fall from grace, our fall from the privileged position that our first parents had when they walked in the garden in the cool of the day together with God, unhindered. When they, Adam and Eve, who lived as surely as you and I live today, when they chose their own glory by eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were opened, we're told. But to what? What replaced their prior sweet communion with Almighty God, their Creator and loving Father? Nothing of worth. 
Nothing that could compare with the blessings and benefits at God's right hand. No. When we each turn to our own way, when we each chase after our own delights in the world, we demonstrate our own fallenness and need for redemption. What we thought and imagined would be paradise actually became a nightmare where the terror of the Lord chills us to the bone when we spend any time at all thinking about it. And so have you thought about your life? What preoccupies your mind? How well furnished your home is? How many investments you have to provide for your and your family's future? How your neighbours, family or co-workers view you? Are your position and furnishings impressive enough? Isaiah says, the word of God says, this is all futile. The Psalms tell us that our days are like a dream. We are like grass that is renewed in the morning, but by the evening it fades and withers. Friends, our days swiftly pass. The lofty ambitions and vain schemes for our own success often frustrated. Why? Does the Lord not love us? Of course he does. Friends, it is precisely because he loves us that he calls us out of the world and to himself. And he furthermore makes this all very possible because of his great faithfulness and saving grace, which is also woven through this love song that we read. My third point is faithfulness. Friends, the Lord has made entry into the rock possible. Verse 10. On the great and fearsome day of the Lord, which is surely closer today than it was yesterday, on that day, verse 11 tells us, it is the Lord alone who will be exalted. All those who remain opposed to him and his truth, all those who continue to exalt themselves and continue in their worship of false gods, all those who ignore God's gracious serenade, they will be humbled and brought low. In our land of injustice and judgments of men that change from one day to the next, we need the righteous judge of all, to rule according to his perfect and just law. It is only in his benevolent providence that hearts previously given over to idolatry and chasing lies can be changed to desire truth and goodness. Praise God. Friends, the faithfulness of God is what we must discover. Each of us in our own lives, by hearing the sweet and loving serenade of God, so that we would turn and come to the house of the God of Jacob, where he will teach us his ways, so that we would be enabled by grace to walk in his ways, in the light of the Lord. Friends, this text speaks of judgment to come. 
which is the testimony of Scripture as a whole. The day of the Lord is an inevitable reality where all things will be reconciled, judged and dealt with one way or the other. But the reality of life is that mercifully, God is at work throughout human history in every generation, including ours. Including ours. Praise God. So when the politicians tell us they haven't got a clue, or when they demonstrate that they haven't got a clue, what are we to do? Give up? No. Because our trust is not in them, but in the God of heaven, who makes all things new. Praise God. God humbles the proud. He reveals the injustice of our ways. He exalts himself in our own lives, where we previously sought to exalt ourselves. Where we once regarded humankind and human achievements as the object of our ambition, we now see the splendor of God's majesty. Whereby he's able to make us lovers of peace and righteousness. And he shows us that we should follow him who puts breath in us and not those who depend upon God's common grace for their very lives. No matter how awe-inspiring human powers and institutions may be, they are not worthy of our trust and hopes. Even in the face of desperate circumstances in our world today, of which we hear with increasing frequency, the Lord our God is working out his purposes which will lead irresistibly and unfailingly to the full consummation of the new Israel. He, the one who is truth itself, is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, we're told. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. What's his name again? Jesus. King of kings, Lord of lords, the author of life itself. By grace, if God has opened our ears to receive his sweet serenade, then we will find sanctuary in the rock, who is Christ. We will find sanctuary from the terror of God. We will now desire his peace and his glory alone. He will help us cast away all our idols and by the Spirit call upon the wondrous name of the Lord and be saved. Friends, today is the day to put your trust and your hope in him because he gave his very life for you as the table that's set before you declares loudly and boldly and as we, as his disciples and his children declare from week to week from month to month and from year to year until our very last days let's bow our heads in prayer